man, oh man, Billy Ray Mitchell is back in Atlanta. I say back, like I'm always back from somewhere and getting to somewhere. I'm actually back where I pay to stay now. So back in Atlanta, came on down back from Chapel Hill. We'll get down into that and where'd we watch? Came home, mail's on the bed. Shout out to Mike Santa Maria for keeping everything tidy. No squirrel surprises upon coming back. Got my stimulus package check, which is fantastic. Really, really, really needed that. So excited that that came in. Um, but I am in Atlanta. Pat Finn is in the Queen City, Charlotte. And Grayson is all the way over in Los Angeles, California. And we're all here. We are the Sons of Saturday to break down the North Carolina-Virginia Tech matchup from this weekend. And without further ado, as we do every show, Pat, kick us off with our Hokey Haiku. But, Billy, well, Bill, first of all, great that you're back in Atlanta. Hopefully no, uh, no run-ins with the squirrel, <laughs> if you know what yeah. I mean. No squirrel, not not a squirrely night, but uh, Hokey Haiku brought to you by the Main Street Pharmacy, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Jeremy's of Saturday. Jeremy counts. Doctor Jeremy counts is the man with the plan. He is the man at the Main Street Pharmacy. He has a friendly staff. He's got everything in there that you need. And I know we're talking about it. We always say Jeremy's about to do some cool things. He's always doing cool things. We're about to do some cool things there as well uh, with some merchandise opportunities out of the Main Street Farm as a storefront. So head on down there. They really, really care about the Blacksburg community because when you go in there, you are a neighbor, not a number. Without further ado, here is my Hokey Haiku. Tough one for the hoax. Where the heck was the rain, man? Let's beat the Eagles. Ooh, good save. Good save. I think, did you forget did you forget a, did you forget a line? I realized I didn't write the uh, the third. I guess it would be a stanza in a haiku. A stanza? I got to tell know. you we talked about the word of the game which we have later up coming up in this podcast. Um, but I got to say you embraced the gamer mentality and came through last second. So, guys, as we do every week, where did we watch this week? Where did we watch? Pat why don't you go ahead and let it know where we watched? I was I was really in the mood to paint their state, man. Hashtag dominate their state. And uh, got to watch the game from Keenan Memorial Stadium. A big shout out uh, to John Yetzi and the gang. But got to, got to hang out with Billy Ray this weekend. He came in on Friday to the Queen City. And uh, we jumped in the old Ford Fusion early on Saturday. And uh, cruised on up there. Really, you know, excited for a game in the rain, packed the rain gear, had all the, the Billy Ray, Belmar, Bill uh, music going on the way up there and uh, went to He's Not Here, which was a lot of fun. The, uh, the, the Carolina bar that everyone goes to, kind of like Tots, a little like Tots, had that vibe up there, bumped into some friends. But uh, yeah, we went, we went to the game. We got to watch the game, had the mask on. I was doing the... Uh, I was doing the the TJ Oshie beer drink. You ever watch that video where uh, you know at the uh, the Capitals parade, uh, the TJ Oshie? I have watched it since you mentioned it. I YouTube it uh, when I got back to Atlanta, so I could not be the guy that didn't understand. Yeah, you know, I was doing that because because I was scolded by an usher uh, between Dude, sips. That's in my notes. I hate that guy. Between sips, uh, that he said I need to have my mask or my my covering up between sips. So that was very interesting. Um, Carolina has turf now, not huge on that, and was very disappointed in the weather. Bill, how was your experience? 
I got to say, um, I was very disappointed by the turf. That seems to be a common uh, thing now. Like, it looks like Georgia Tech has switched, switched to being a turf field. I really hope Virginia Tech never does that. I love the natural grass. And also, you have the Argyle on the sideline. Pat, we noticed we were like, UNC going turf. What a, what a complete sellout move. Um, but we're not really in a position. Not to, gritty. Not in a position. Well, not in a position really to call them not gritty. Um, after getting after us there on Saturday, but uh, definitely prefer the grass over the turf. But I got to say, using my favorite term, got to say, really great people. We went, I think we went five for six on interactions with North Carolina fans. Um, really nice town. Everybody's kind of, you know, we went to a great place. Where did we go? Burger Hub or Burger Hut or something like that? I think, the buns? Called, I think it was called like Buns or the Buns. So had a little bit of a switch up. Like both of y'all, I'm very very jealous that both of you, regardless of the outcome of the game, were both able to be in Chapel Hill. Again, shout out to John Yetzi. That's huge that, that you guys were able to actually be there in person, especially right now. Uh, I, I actually, an audible was called. For me, I was going to be at O'Brien's like I usually am, and Eric Avzar hits me up earlier this week, and he says, hey, Grayson, I'm going down to San Diego. I think I want to watch the game at Bubs this weekend. And for those who don't know, Bubs at the beach in Pacific Beach in San Diego is where the San Diego Virginia Tech alumni chapter watches the games. And they're known for having a monumental crowd week in and week out. And I'm like, you know what? I could be about a little impromptu trip down to San Diego. We hop in the car. Eric's driving, cranking the tunes, stopping a little Jersey Mike's. Shout out to my Jersey boys. Got me a uh, number six on wheat, roast beef, and cheese. We get down there, stay with one of Eric's friends, Christina. Beautiful home, has the biggest jacuzzi I've ever seen in my entire life. Call it an early night, Friday night. Wake up very early, Sons of the West Coast, 9 a.m. We are at Bubs. Y'all think the 12 noon kickoffs are bad? Y'all don't even know the half of it. Getting up at 9 a.m. to watch a football game. I'm eating eggs and bacon as the Hokies you know, it was like 21 to zero. Great eggs and bacon. <laughs> Score wasn't that great at the time. But shout out to uh, to the sons and daughters of San Diego. Bubs at the beach. That's a happening spot, man. That crowd lived up to the hype. So had a great weekend, man. Incredible weekend down there in San Diego. But without further ado. One second. One second, G-Baby. All I right. do want to point out, I would be remiss. I want to shout out uh, to the lovely people that we sat with during the game. Sat a little bit uh, down from the Hoffman family. Really, really good to see Mrs. Hoffman out and cheering on her son, who's been fantastic through three games. Uh, we sat with Robbie Hoops. So shout out to you if you are listening. And Jack Click and his wonderful wife, Casey. It was fantastic catching up with you. Uh, had been far too long, but fantastic to sit down and uh, hear some of the plays before they were even ran. So it was great seeing you, Jack. <laughs> I said, I said, Billy, I like, I like sitting with Jack, man. And he's like, <laughs> Jack knows all the plays from, uh, from the signals. Cause he was on the quarterback staff and uh, he was like, watch, watch what this one's going to be. Cause he saw a guy in motion and su- sure enough, it's exactly what happened. It was like sitting next to a psychic, but uh, we're going to move into likes and dislikes presented by the Chesapeake center for complete Dentistry, Dr. John Cranham. Guys, big news. We actually have a couple uh, a couple folks who went in there for some teeth bleachery, 50% off. Guys, send us in some pictures of your new teeth bleachery. Love to see those smiles. Sons of smiles, head on down to the CC for CD in Chesapeake, Virginia. I will kick it off here. What did we like? The offense looked good. 
the offense looked good. A game is four quarters. The offense looked good after four quarters. 45 points, 495 total yards. Another fantastic game for Khalil Herbert, who has three straight games of 100 rushing yards on the ground, who is the nation's leading rusher, averaging 10.4 yards per carry and 149.67 yards per game. That is good for number one in the country. 43 carries, 449 yards, five touchdowns. I mean, the guy is an incredible runner. I will say the uh, the number two is Michael Carter, now after that performance Saturday. But great stuff out of Khalil Herbert uh, after, after the course of four quarters. James Mitchell is a very good football player with a pair of touchdowns as well. Yeah, I got to say, just to add on to that, we were talking about, you know, losing Hazleton and, you know, Jaden Payute getting, uh, getting hurt early on in the year. We were worried about who was going to be that down-the-field presence, and that question has been answered. Uh, James Mitchell's ability to make huge plays down the field, um, find mismatches, and just straight-up win down the field has been a huge, huge uplift for this offense. Uh, for the thing that I liked uh, the most, I'm going to go with the offensive line. I was most excited going to this game. I knew I was going to watch you know, everything going on in the trenches all day. Um, and these, our offensive line, as they have every game, uh, are just pummeling people. Um, you know, the guys that I saw mostly, uh, Doug Nestor had a fantastic pull block. Um, and he just absolutely annihilated someone. Jack, I even asked you, I was like, did you hear that? <laughs> You're like, yeah, what was that? I was like, oh, it was Doug Nestor axe murdering somebody. So there was that one. Christian Darisaw had a really good game. Um, but again, this is such a talented, talented unit. Um, and I think we legitimately have one of the best offensive lines in the USA, uh, and a, an unbelievable stable of running backs. Um, but Grayson, you wanted to talk a little bit about the running backs, so go ahead, buddy. Yeah, sure. So first off, I'd like to say, I, I obviously, Khalil Herbert, animal, just going absolutely insane. We're three games in, and, and he's the leading rusher in the country. It's awesome. I also think that Raheem Blackshear had a good game yesterday, had some key first downs there early on. And honestly, it's been a long time since we've had a kind of a one-two running back tandem like Khalil Herbert and Raheem Blackshear. And I'm really excited to see what these guys do and, and, and to see them get better each week. Honestly, Pat, I was thinking the other night, they make me think of Ryan Williams and Darren Evans, that duo. It's very, I think, comparable. Uh, and then Khalil Herbert. Bill, you tweeted about this yesterday. The patience that that man has, like his vision, the way that he sees the field – I don't know if I've seen a Hokie running back with his downfield vision since David Wilson. Well, uh, just, I wanna, I don't, I'm not even only talking about his vision when he's in the open field. Like sure. a big gripe that I've had over the years is, you know, the first rule of, of, of running zone offense is you cannot cut zone back. You cannot bounce back on zone. And his ability to get behind his blockers and either patiently wait for the hole to open or, or follow the blocking and, and bounce it outside – kind of that first instinct for so many years has been, oh, got to bounce it outside. And that hole will come, come open right as the hole has been, right as it's being bounced outside. He trusts his blockers and is able to make huge, huge plays um, with just being extremely patient. And you're also, to your point, with the downfield vision, it's showing in his special teams play. And his special teams play, his vision, every time he touches the ball, we were saying it every time on kickoff. If the kickoff is two or three yards in the end zone and we're letting it go, I'm like, 
Damn, I'd love to see him get another get another touch. It may not come up on the stat sheet, but I would love to see him get another return. So, um, again, just such a such a talented player. Um, I'm really excited about his uh, his potential. Yeah, and I don't I don't even know if uh, if David Wilson had better vision than Herbert. I think I think Wilson was more reliant on speed and strength, but Ryan Williams I think had that that downfield vision uh, that we're kind of seeing out out of Herbert here. I, I, I think I, I think of David Wilson, you know, he was always the guy who would go east west and could make something out of nothing. And and I see that in Khalil Herbert. He's you know, he'll start going right and it's slow and the and the play is about to get blown up, or you think he's about to get tackled for a loss, and then all of a sudden he comes jetting around the corner for a for an eleven yard gain. I just haven't seen that in in such a long time. So a huge it's, credit to Khalil it's Herbert. So weird. Watch too, because it's it's so difficult to see when you're when you're there and you're on the sideline. Like Pat and I, he would run. Uh, we'd be running stretch or outside zone uh, away from us, and you just see this big hodgepodge of people. And then, sure enough, Khalil Herbert squirts out, finds six, seven, eight yards um, every single time when you don't think something's there. Um, so yeah, just 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 a clinic being put on by him every single week, and still not getting the national recognition that he deserves. I stamp that wholeheartedly. Bill, you had talked about special teams earlier. I, I also want to talk about what we liked on special teams. Obviously, y'all, Brian Johnson, I think, was the player of the game yesterday. 55-yard field goal there in the third quarter. That automatic. Automatic. Still is. Still automatic. Is tied now for the fifth longest field goal in school history and is the longest field goal by Tech Kicker since Cody Jernell. Cody Jernell hit a 56-yarder in 2013 against the Boston College Eagles. Another shout-out to Tavian Robinson. Seemed to have fixed those woes from, uh, from uh, catching punts. You know, proud of him for staying poised and composed. There Sons, in the of Sons, Sons of pushback. Sons of pushback. Sons of pushback. Sons of pushback. I don't want to call him woes. He did have one drop. The other drop, he was backing up. I don't want him to. I don't want people to think this is a thing. I don't want people saying, "I'm sick of seeing the tweets." Oh, thank God, Tavion caught it. Look, guy's talented. He's addressed it. I just want to nip that in the bud. But yes, he did look. He did look confident and did a great job on Saturday. Oh, I know he's a talented kid. I I, I know he's a talented kid. But uh, as soon as I saw him backing up on some of those, I was like, "Don't do it. Don't do it. Not again. Not <laughs> not not in the damp weather, please, Tavian. Love you, man. Also, well, I got I got to say, Grayson. We didn't talk about this. It was dry. Like with the turf, I was expecting it to pour. I had my windbreaker. I had my windbreaker packed. Um, the sun literally came out in the second half. Like Jack Click was like, I left my, I left my sunglasses in the car. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Sons of squinting. Um, it was very, uh, it was very, very dry, which was surprising. That's- and then as soon as the game's over, we're driving back to Charlotte. It is pouring, pouring rain, pouring buckets, and then my old way to Atlanta. That night after, it was pouring rain. I wish we would have saw a little bit more of that uh, at noon on Saturday. It's so strange because on TV, I guess TV is deceiving. You know, they say TV adds a couple of pounds, camera adds a couple of pounds. It looks damp, but you guys were there. You guys know better than I. Moving right along, Braxton Burmeister can punt, question mark. He had, that punt, man, that nice little roll. That Tootsie was rolling, baby. And I, I thought for a second, all I could think is, oh, my gosh, are we actually about to go for it? I'm so glad that we did, man. Oh, my God. 
<laughs> well, the way we were getting, well, the way the looks we were getting on fourth down, we did a good job on fourth down, I thought, but I was shocked. I, I thought we were going to do the, let's go out there, pretend to snap the ball and burn a timeout. Um, but we actually got UNC to go ahead and burn a timeout. Um, but I, I got to give credit to Burmeister as well. He fielded a horrible snap like that. very easily could have been an absolute disaster um, with a bad snap, get it blocked or get tackled or something. Um, also a lot of people, what they do sometimes you get a bad snap, you go down to get it and you put your knee down. So sons of fundamentals, good job there. Um, but, uh, (laughs) but yeah, uh, interesting, interesting stuff. In summation, gentlemen, I think what I liked the most about this game is the resiliency of the team. We lost sure. I hate moral victories as much as the next Virginia Tech football fan, but the toughness and fighting spirit of the team really, really showed on Saturday. And this is my opinion. I this is just one man, one man's opinion. I think that Hokie teams of old probably would have folded yesterday like a cheap tent that you buy at Dick's Sporting Goods. But the boys kept fighting until the very, very end yesterday, and you have to give them credit for that. And here's an interesting statistic you might not have considered. Tech last scored 30 points in three consecutive games to open a season in 2006. That's almost 15 years ago. That's insane. All right, everybody. So I know, look, we talked about the things that were good. Got to talk about the things that were bad. This is what we'd like to improve uh, moving forward here. So... It's a long list. Bear with us. We've got some stuff that we definitely need to see improve. So if I had to, if I had to summate what I saw yesterday, um, just about how things were going, you know, I kind of, as I was walking out of the stadium, I was like, what was like the one thing that kind of stood out to me? And here's what it was. It was all day. The story was Virginia Tech was facing second and 11s, second and nines, third and seven, third and six. And it seemed that UNC was in like second and ones, third and th- I didn't even think they had a lot of third downs. They only had three third downs and they converted six or they only had 10 third downs. and They converted six of them um, just constantly getting behind the chains early on, especially early on in the game. Um, and then that put us in a situation where we're having to take gambles and we're having to convert on these third and tens, third and twelves, uh, or even going for it on fourth down. And it eventually came back and caught up to us. Um, another thing that really, really bothered me yesterday um, was we saw a ton of press man out of North Carolina. Um, a lot of press man, which is basically North Carolina saying, you're not going to beat us down the field. I don't need safety help. That's just what we're going to do. And to be honest, in the first half, especially, we really weren't winning those one-on-one battles down the field. Um, I think that we have a talented wide receiver room. Uh, I know they're going to get better from it. But we cannot allow teams to stack the box uh, with no safety help and, a, and, and press man uh, and let teams get away with that. Uh, they're going to do everything they can to stop the run game. Uh, and we've talked about how much the run game is going to be able to open up the, the middle of the field or down the field shot opportunities. Um, but if we're unable to win those matchups, then it's going to be a serious problem. And they're just going to stack the box and we'll continue to struggle. But I do think that that is an area where we absolutely need to improve. For me, it has to be the lack of touches for Khalil Herbert early on in the game. We saw him come alive against NC State. We saw him come alive in the third and fourth quarter against Duke. 
I think feed the hot hand is the one thing that you should be doing to uh, come out hot out of the gate. And Herbert had one touch in the first three drives and six carries by halftime. This is a guy who's you know leading the country in rushing and has just put up 208 yards uh, in the in the previous contest at Duke. You know, this is a guy that needs the ball in his hands and who can set you up, as Billy just said, instead of having a second and nine, more so a second and three. Uh, he's averaging over 10 yards a carry. I don't understand why he wasn't getting the ball enough in the first and second quarters. But also in the fourth quarter, uh, right when we were trying to mount that comeback, Herbert takes a carry uh, for 11 yards on a first down. And then the next three plays, he doesn't get the ball. We go three and out and we give them the ball back and they go down and score. So I just, I just don't understand as far as the game planning goes. Yeah, it's great to score 45 points. How about score 52 points or 59 points? Uh, give the ball to your playmakers, feed the hot hand. He's leading the country in rushing. He got 18 carries. He's averaging 14 carries a game. He should be uh, getting north of 20. Here's a thought for you real quick, and y- you guys can either agree or disagree with this. I personally would love to see Jalen Holston getting into the rotation more. I know I spoke on Khalil Herbert and, and Raheem Blackshear as a kind of a one-two punch tandem, but Jalen Holston has proved himself as a running back in more than a few games. The Marshall game from two years ago in 2018 had a phenomenal performance. I think we have so much talent who is currently healthy at running back. Holston is in that group. Throw him into the rotation. Let him do his thing to give Khalil rest, to let Raheem rest. I know we – I mean – Credit to him as a team player also because he could easily complain. He could whine. But I see him out there, number zero on special teams, making making big plays. So that's that's just a thought that I had. I just wanted yeah. to kind of throw that out there. Yeah, I, I definitely uh, think that he has definitely earned the right uh, for some reps there uh, in that talented stable uh, of running backs. I think if you had to pick something to nitpick about the offense, Pat – you hit the nail on the head with the Herbert touches. We'll kind of get into the nitty gritty about that a little bit later, but here's, here's the bottom line. Honestly, if you told me before, you know, this game started, the Virginia tech offense was going to score 45 points. We were going to have 495 yards total and 260 of those would be on the ground. And we only had four penalties for 26 yards. I would have said, we're going to win this football game. Uh, in my opinion, and by just about any opinion that makes sense. Oh, by the way, we also won time of possession by about five or six minutes. So looking at all those statistics, you tell me that I'm thinking we're winning the football game. Uh, I think if all of that happens, you should definitely be in a position to win this football game. And to be completely honest, a lot of the issues that I had yesterday, whether they were excused or inexcused, came on the defensive side of the football. And Pat, I'll let you kind of have the first crack at it with the defense. Uh, plain and simple, the defense looked terrible. The defense did not look good yesterday. And uh, David Teal tweeted this out uh, right after the game. UNC with 656 total yards on 66 snaps. That is 9.9 yards per play, which is the second most yards that we have ever given up aside from Alabama, who scored eight or who have put up 833 yards on us. In 1973, I'm glad I was not alive to see that. Um, The run defense was just absent. Michael Carter, 
214 yards. Javante Williams, 169 yards, a few touchdowns between them. I mean, Bill, I know you had, uh, you had a lot to say about this on the preview. Absolutely. And I want to say, you know, we all remember Michael Carter from last year, but I have to tip my cap to Javante Williams because he was absolutely fantastic as well. Um, that one-two punch was, was definitely something to be reckoned with and deserves, uh, deserves proper attention. And yeah, I mentioned it in our preview. Being gap sound was going to be was going to be paramount. It was crucially important. I also mentioned overrunning a little bit in the interior defensive line play, which kind of worried me. Um, I saw on Saturday something that really bothered me was we were constantly being cut off on outside runs, whether it was Daz Newsom or some of the tight ends that they had, or a couple wide receivers laying blocks and preventing guys from getting over the top to fill their gaps on outside runs. That's something that I saw a ton of on Saturday. And quite honestly, UNC basically made this decision. They said, we are going to force Tyler Matheny to be the free hitter and force him to make a tackle versus guys like Daz Newsom, versus guys like Javante Williams, versus guys like Michael Carter. Um, and you know what? That's, that's what it came down to. It's completely depleted secondary. You lose Chamari Connor really early, um, and you're having to rely – on a depleted secondary, Pat, we were at um, we were at the bar before the game reading the you know not a available list, and uh, Luke Tenuta was a surprise. I didn't see that one kind of coming, uh, but I knew that we had depth on the offensive line and were able to kind of move some pieces around and make something happen, and we absolutely did. Shout out to everybody who was a part of that. Um, but like, it just reminds you of how important Divine Diablo is. It reminds you how important a secondary is because anytime something breaks down, if the linebackers you know, miss their assignment or we're out of gap on the defensive tackle side or the defensive end side, it's down to Divine Diablo to make a tackle. And a lot of times you kind of take it for granted because they don't get to that second or third level because the safety's flying up and making a play in the hole. Um, but it really showed you how important having a really heavy hitter as someone who knows how to take proper angles and fill the hole correctly is able to make a difference. Uh, Grace, and I know you had some notes on Tyler Matheny. Tyler Matheny, God bless the kid, because walk-on had a great game last week against Duke, uh, had the interception, sideline goes crazy. And I remember being at O'Brien's, and I mentioned to uh, to some of the other Hokies who were there, I said, you know, I'm, I'm stoked that he's having a good game this week, but if he's starting next week, and not to single him out, it's it's kind of the same thing with all the other secondary I said, they're going to pick on him. They're going to go after him all game long. And guess what? Kudos to Mac Brown and his staff because they did. I knew, I knew Tyler Bethany was going to have one game and, uh, where he kind of balled out, and I figured that the rest of the secondary, you know, guys like J.R. Walker and guys like Dorian Strong who are going to have to step up, and with D- Devon Diablo being out, all I could think is, they're just going to pick them like pulled pork. And that is exactly what happened. Sam Howell, very talented quarterback, not Walmart brand Baker Mayfield. That kid can sling the gun. I said in my article about, you know, comparing the Miami game to this one, I said, you won't have to pull my receipts. I was wrong. Okay. Sam Howell, talented player. And they picked on a very, very inexperienced secondary on Saturday. Like, you don't even have to get into, you know, the ability. It's more so 
how many t- how many how many reps of middle drill will you're learning how to fill those holes or how many reps of inside run or whatever whatever drill it may be are Tyler Matheny getting where he's getting that rep of filling the hole how many reps are these are these safeties getting i mean we had we had we had Tisdale playing safety i mean how many times has he had to fill a hole running that position so it wasn't it's not as much just saying oh you know it, it, it's a talent discrepancy which there certainly is but it's also i don't know how many reps he's been able to do this daz newsom has been making plays on the North Carolina side of the ball for years now. And, you know, you can only roll out guys who haven't had reps and haven't had in-game experience. In-game experience is the best experience that there is. Obviously, um, you know, there's no beating that. And that's exactly what we saw on Saturday at the defensive backside. You know, one of the things that I was really hung up on before this game that I had put out there multiple times was that Sam had uh, had zero of 10 completions of passes downfield that were 20 or plus yards. And then you look at this game and you said, Phil Longo has created an offense where he has all these athletes on the interior underneath that you can create mismatches. Uh, Sam was 18 of 23, 257 yards, three touchdowns. And he only really had two throws that were, that were long throws and both of them went for touchdowns. Uh, One of them in the first half, one of them in the uh, right before the end of the second quarter and um, th- the way that they out-schemed us was that Sam would just back up one second, one second and a half, two seconds max, he would have a throw. We had one sack. We couldn't get any pressure to him because that's just the way that their offense was set up. They would find mismatches on swing passes or in the flat and uh, have screen passes in one-on-one situations and su- superior athletes were winning. Um, but in addition to that, man, it was just tough seeing our interior defensive line and uh, our linebacker play. I mean, Dax and Ashby really didn't seem anywhere to be found uh, yesterday. You had mentioned Tisdale moving back to play safety. Coach Fu talked about considering putting offensive players in the secondary late in the game. Like it was just not what you want to see. But uh, at the end of the day, I know the defense is going through some struggles. I know uh, that's what happens when you are lacking personnel. Um, but, you know, you can only go up from this performance. It reminded me of the Pittsburgh game a few years ago. Pat, to, to add on, I guess here's one final gripe that I have. And, and obviously yesterday we're down pretty much our entire secondary, but this kind of is more about the defense as a collective. I've noticed in years past that it would seem that the defense right before halftime, after we score, has always been a bit of an issue. It would seem that you know, say say the Hokies score and there's three minutes left. It's it's almost like our defense just turns off the off switch and is already headed into halftime because I've, I've seen it more than a few times and I, I can't pull specific examples right now off the top of my head, but there have been times where the, uh, an opposing team has had two minutes left and they we, we the defense will let them march right down the field and either get a field goal or a touchdown. You want to say this? I mean, with the, uh, towards the end of the game, s- straight up, you you cannot allow that touchdown to happen. You're get, you're no. getting some momentum. You're finally getting back into the game. Um, but again, it, it comes down to like how many reps has Jermaine Waller had? How familiar is Jermaine Waller with some of these calls? And you have to understand situation. And Jermaine Waller is an extremely talented football player. He didn't have much of a cushion, and he got beat off the line. And then you're going in halftime down, I believe it was three scores uh, as opposed to two with getting the ball back. Uh, and we were able to fight our way back into the football game. But you just you just can't put yourself in a position to give up a big-time play like that. Um, 
So it wasn't more so marching down the field. It was just one mistake gets you and catches you. But yeah, Grayson, I definitely know what you're talking about um, with, with just, you know, stuff that just, ki- that just kills momentum and kills you coming out. But I, in terms of like last notes that I have, obviously the touchdown before halftime. And then my other one, like just being transparent at the end of the game, there's, there's no reason for the chippiness at, at, the, at the end of the football game. Um, like we're, we me, lost, man. We lost the football game. To me, you're t- the way the reason he's taking the knee like that. It's not a showboat thing. You're just trying to match up the the, the shot clock with when you're going to be able to take a knee. Um, and it just it just wasn't great. It was an ugly scene at the end of the football game, like you said, Grayson. Towards the beginning, like I'm not not a moral victory guy, but I thought our guys fought extremely extremely hard given the circumstances and. Uh, I just didn't, I, I didn't love to see that. Um, and I'm sure that'll be a teachable moment for the guys. Uh, but that's something that bothered me. Um, moving right along here to word of the game. Uh, I just went with tackling. Uh, we're playing Boston College next week with uh, Phil Jerkovic. Um, he's like 250 pounds, um, breaks tackles, makes plays. Something that crushed us obviously was tackling. Uh, we must, we must tackle better. We must tackle better. So I went with uh, the word of the day was tackling. For me, it's reps. I think some of these guys who are out there, as Billy just said, you don't know how much time Jermaine Waller has spent in practice. You know Ryan Smith hasn't been with the team at all. You know that Jayhan's barely been with the team at all as well. You could see it was tangible that uh, these players hadn't been playing with each other before and these players hadn't been on a Division I football field before. Or a lot of them hadn't, and and that's fine. That's that's kind of the, the hand that we've been dealt right now. Um, so moving forward, it's going to be you, – you can only move up from here as far as that goes. These guys are going to get more reps in practice. They're going to get more game time reps, and uh, we're going to have more guys available. Which leads me into my word of the day, which is – or word of the game, excuse me – resiliency. You have to be able to bounce back. I mean, yes, it was a very, very tough loss. You know, defense didn't play the best. Uh, we, we suffered because of that. We have guys who are out from contact tracing, some guys who are a little dinged up right now. We have to be able to bounce back next weekend against Boston College. We cannot ride the wave of this loss. Put it behind us. I love Trey Turner. He, he tweets, beat BC, turn the page, moving right along. That's, that's what we have to do. So we've gone this entire, we've gone this entire podcast without talking about the incredible problems and, and issues that we've faced. Um, we didn't, and quite frankly, we don't uh, get on here and try to just excuse away the reason um, that we may lose a football game or the reason that we may struggle with an unworthy opponent. Um, but Twitter was out of control yesterday. Like, I, I'm just going to be honest with you. Twitter was absolutely un, out of control today. And I know some of you Wormburgers who have plenty to say about us and call us the Homer Podcast listen. So I'm just going to address most of the points that I read with some pushback here. Um, I really hope that Twitter is not a microcosm of the entire fan base. And I don't think it is. Um, but it really was was ugly yesterday. And the bottom line to me after watching this football game was we lost to one of the most talented offenses in the country. They had mismatches across the field due to the guys that we had missing. And the truth of the matter is, you know, you can say what you want about, you know, is the team under control? Like what's happening? Why are we dealing with this? Every team is going to deal with COVID outbreaks. Every team's going to deal with it. Clemson dealt with it in the summer. They got it out of the way. 
and now they're really not seeing that problem. You're seeing it affect the NFL now. You're seeing games get canceled, most recently the Patriots and the Titans. It's going to affect every team. And at the end of the day, Coach Fuente, the strength staff, the support staff, even the medical staff, they're not paid to be doctors and figure all of this out. The fact of the matter is when school starts and you bring 30,000 kids into Blacksburg, Virginia, you have freshmen that live in the dorms who have people that could get sick. You have student athletes who have to go to Kroger, who have to go to the grocery store, who have to go out and about on town. For a lot of you folks to just come out here and try to explain and summarize this entire issue as something that is a lack of coaching or a lack of institutional um, uh, control is, is, is just sickening and ridiculous because there's, everybody's going to deal with this problem. Everybody's going to deal with it, and we're dealing with it the best that we absolutely can. Um, so that definitely frustrated me. Um, and another point, hey, we scored 45 points at 495 yards and had an 11-point loss after spotting 21 points to North Carolina. So, you know, Pat, you brought this up. Why is Herbert not getting more touches in the first quarter? This is the most fair gripe that I will hear out of the offense. I, 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 I can completely understand that. The only pushback that I could possibly have is we did run 14 plays in the first quarter. You're coming off of trying to find a, a passing game here, trying to exploit some of those mismatches. You saw that North Carolina was stacking the box. And to be honest, like the first drive for every team in the country is scripted, right? So, you know, didn't work out. And then you just kind of try to keep fighting from behind. So that's the one gripe that I'll hear. And a lot of things that I've been hearing a ton is, is, is the Burmeister Hendon hooker situation. And here's what people are just not understanding. Braxton Burmeister from every account that I have heard and everything that is kind of publicly available is Braxton Burmeister has looked fantastic in practice. Braxton Burmeister is a talented player. He was a highly recruited uh, quarterback from Oregon, won games at Oregon um, and had taken us to two and Oh, um, you know, you don't just go ahead and switch quarterbacks ad hoc for just to do it. Um, and we'll kind of get into like the Hendon Hooker versus Bracton Burmeister um, kind of differences a little bit later. But then you're like, oh, well, why did Hendon Hooker go in for a second? And then you yanked him again. Well, the reason that that happened was Braxton Burmeister was cramping and came out of the football game. So Hendon Hooker therefore goes in. It wasn't like a flip-flop two quarterback system thing that we, everybody likes to call it. That's just what happened. It was the next man up. Um, let's go ahead and actually knock out this Hooker and Braxton Burmeister conversation first. And Sean Dival actually wrote in, said, why does it seem like Fuente won't commit to Hooker? I like Braxton Burmeister, but the offense definitely picked up with Hooker in. Maybe a different outcome if he plays the whole game. Seems just like last year with Willis. Here's the deal. Hendon Hooker came in this football game, played with extreme swagger. If you look at the two ways that we broke down the numbers, Braxton Burmeister was 7 for 15 for 79 yards, 11 rushes for 51 yards. Hooker was 7 for 13 for 136 and two touchdowns, eight carries for 36 yards and a touchdown. Burmeister as a player is extremely fast, he looks like he's a little nervous or jittery when he's in the pocket. But my biggest gripe with that was several times over the first few games, he'd be in a situation on a screen or a one read pass play where you would just have to get the guy the ball. Um, and quite frankly, he wasn't able to do that. Hendon Hooker, one of his best qualities, in my opinion, he sees a cool customer. If he has a free blitzer coming off of the side, he's able to sit in the pocket, find a way to get the ball to James Mitchell, find a way to get the ball to Herbert or Blackshear, and then we get a big time play. Um, and you're going to have that free hitter. 
Um, and you're going to have to just be calm and make a way, uh, find a way to do that. But you're coming off of being 2-0 and behind Braxton Burmeister. We have no idea how much practice Hendon Hooker had had at that point. Again, I've mentioned on the podcast that he looked a little bit skinny. And, and here's the deal. If you're going to make the switch from Hendon Hooker to Brax, or from Braxton Burmeister to Hendon Hooker, that's not a flip-flop game. You can't go to Hendon Hooker and then say, oh, wait, no, we're going back to Braxton Burmeister. You need to be absolutely sure that that is the direction you're going. And when it came into the second half, they made the switch. It worked out. And I think that that's the most important thing that we learned from this Saturday is that we're moving forward with Hendon Hooker, I would presume. So I think that that definitely came to light. And then the dumbest, one of, there are a lot of dumb things, but this is pretty dumb. Saying that Coach Cornelson sucks is like the high noon of Twitter. It's like the trendy thing to do on Twitter. It's like going out and buying some Allbirds or, you know, whatever. I mean, Pat, just go ahead and talk about some of the statistics from the offense. It's it's, it's absolutely ludicrous that this is still a conversation. Under this horrible offensive uh, offensive coordinator brad cornelson we are ranked seventh in the country for scoring offense we are averaging 42.7 points a game that is an improvement game over game when we were all we were running around like our hair was on fire in a positive way because we were fired up we're averaging 41 and a half per game under coach corn from the first two games we were, we were ranked number 10 before this game now we're ranked number seventh we could keep climbing next week against Boston College. Seventh in the country for scoring offense. Seventh in the country for yards per play as well. If you, if you wanted to go tell uh, a, a Hokie fan in 2014 after the 0-0 Wake Forest game in regulation, and we ended up losing in overtime 6-3, to if you would have told one of those defenders on that team, like Kenny Canham or Kendall Fuller, said, hey, would you ever imagine that Virginia Tech would have a top 10 scoring offense? They would have hosted a party that night because this is what we need. This is what we've been waiting for. The Stein spring years, everyone freaked out because we had all this talent and could never do anything with it. Look at what this team is doing offensively. We, are, we had 500 yards this past Saturday. Our offensive line is absolutely fantastic. Um, so, yeah, these are just two statistics – Stop piling on the offensive coordinator for a bad performance in the first quarter. It's a four-quarter game. We have a defense, too. Uh, I think Brad is just, you know, the easy guy to pick on in the situation. It's just like Billy said, the, uh, the high noon thing. But, yeah, give me a break. I would say, and, and anyone who has been a longtime listener of the Sons of Saturday podcast knows the last season, old G. Wim over here, a little critical of Coach Corn. Sure, pull my receipts. I don't care. That said, you know, I've had my gripes, but look, numbers don't lie. We're ranked seventh in the country, like Pat just said, for scoring offense. Has that ever happened? I don't think so. So I can eat my words. I have considered my words eaten. Our offense is rolling and is a thing of beauty. If we go forward, this is just my opinion again. If we keep Hooker under 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 center, we could be a serious problem going forward. In that same regard, to, speaking of Coach Corn, y'all, I saw multiple posts, not just on the Twitter machine, but on Facebook as well. People were already, after game one, after his debut, calling for the firing of 
Defensive coordinator Justin Hamilton. Hey, listen, if you're one of those people, you should be permanently banned from Sharkies for the rest of your life. If you're one of those people, quite honestly, like all jokes aside, you're an idiot. Like, here's the deal. I'm not going to get into kind of the specifics of, of who's missing. When are they coming back? What is going on? Because quite frankly, that's nobody's business. And a lot of people and a lot of publications are doing their best to dig up. Oh, what dirt can we get on what player and how long they've been out and everything, this, that, and the other. What you guys have to understand, let's just take the defensive backfield, for example. Coach Smitty is in quarantine. He's dealing with an already short group. He gets back you know, a couple days maybe before the game, you're not being able to evaluate these players of practice. You're not being able to see them play. You're not being able to sit in on these meetings, run the film. And you can say as much as remote learning is the same. Go ahead and ask any student in college or in high school if remote learning is the same. You're not being able to sit in on those meetings. Then you're coming in and being asked to put together a puzzle that's missing 15, 16 pieces or the pieces that you do have have been practicing for a day or have become available the day of the walkthrough. Everybody, it's so easy to say, oh, wow, look. Next week, people are going to say, oh, wow, look, Divine Diablo is available. We're so excited to get him back. I think Divine Diablo is going to be awesome next week, but you're getting back a Divine Diablo who has missed consecutive days of practice, has not taken a rep in who knows how long and you know whoever may be dealing with you know COVID or or anything else they're still dealing with going through that I mean any of you that have had the flu before or any of you that have had a stomach bug before you probably don't feel as fantastic as you did before you're bouncing into it so not only are you having to catch up to speed to game speed what the scheme is what the game plan is and what we're going to do against a specific team versus specific looks. You also have to be in peak physical condition to make it happen. Um, And it's just, it's absolutely ridiculous. And this is something that Virginia tech is not only dealing with, this is what the entire ACC is dealing with Um, with rapid testing that the ACC is taking and distributing. And I've heard this from people at different programs. You are literally finding out players that are available for the game at three o'clock in the morning on that Saturday. So you are getting test results on players that are available or unavailable the morning of game time. That is a nine hour turnaround on a noon game. So, you know, as we navigate this thing and teams are navigating this and I understand that every team is dealing with it. Well, this is the time period where we're, where we're really dealing with it. And to just come out and say, there's no excuse or I won't hear excuses due to COVID related issues, then you're just an idiot. Well, go ahead and look, go ahead and look at the results that Alabama put up this last week. Nobody's freaking out because Alabama gave up 600 yards to Ole Miss last week. It's going to be a different year. You're going to have to play different guys. And quite frankly, you know, that's just what the situation is going to be. And every team is going to have their time period where they struggle with it. And unfortunately ours is right now. In the same regard again, and this is the last thing that I'll say on, on, on this matter, the fire foo hive, you know, yeah, sure, I will admit I was not happy about our defensive performance. It made my blood boil. But like Bill just talked about, we've literally been starting four-string secondary for two weeks now. Curtail your expectations. This is not, Justin Fuente has lost the locker room, Mr. Sullivan. Like, no, no, it's not that. We knew 
that there was a strong likelihood that Sam Howell was going to pick that inexperienced secondary apart. That's not Coach Fuente's fault. That's not Coach Hamilton's fault. And that's not Coach Cornelson's fault. Just want to just wanna make that crystal and abundantly clear. It's really, it's really not difficult to understand. And look, people are going to look for somebody to blame. We went, about, we went about some of the issues, the qualms that we had up above at the beginning of the podcast. But it's, it, it's really time for you guys to, to really understand what this team is dealing with and what this program is having to deal with. And, and I'll just add this on. I mean, there's no way around it. Like, I, I support Coach Fuente and I support the staff. I think they do a fantastic job. Um, but they've gotten up there. And they've answered questions as best as they can without being medical professionals about what are we trying to do to keep these kids safe? If you go ahead and you ask any of the kids, they know that they're trying to keep kids safe. And I'm just sick of the outside. This is a huge reason why I started this thing and we do this is I'm just sick of people who don't know what the hell's going on, trying to comment and trying to paint the picture about what's going on inside. You want to say that the kids hate coach once I saw some disgusting things on the internet um, uh, regarding coach Fuente and coach Cornelson and coach Hamilton these kids love these coaches and they're doing absolutely everything they can to a put a great product out on the football field, which I think they've done a great job of and B keep these players safe. Um, and a lot goes into that. And quite frankly, it's, it, it's pretty shocking that they're giving you the time of day to answer some of these questions. Coach Fuente is not a doctor coach Fuente's there's no playbook for how to deal with this. So, you know, I think we got a great football team. Guys are going to get back, be healthy. Um, and I think, you know, once we do get healthy, I think we have a pretty good football team. So, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of offer some closing thoughts that I had on this group on social media. Uh, shout out to John Cranham. I mean, this guy, just always a positive light here. He says, it's amazing. Just a few weeks ago, we seemed to all be united. Just hoping for a season and giving our players a chance to play, knowing full well it was going to be different. Now we have quote-unquote fans calling for the firing of coaches. Tough loss, yes, but come on. Me, personally, I'm a believer that a majority of this fan base is not mature enough to handle a loss. After, after seeing this go down year over year, on the internet, it's like, holy moly, take a breath. Have you ever watched competitive sports before? Um, you know, it's like there always has to be finger pointing. The blame always has to be put on somebody. Someone has to get fired or they say, hey, nope, no, no excuses. We need to win and we need to do everything that we can to win. And if we don't win, someone needs to get fired. Zoom out on your life, man. Like, this is, this is college football. It is my favorite thing in the entire world. But for you to go out there and just say some of these things on the internet is absolutely and utterly ridiculous. And yeah, I'll say it. There's a lot of people in this fan base that are toxic on the internet. I know, I know that there's people that listen to this podcast that are not on Twitter and they're probably like, eh, I don't know. I, I kind of like Hokie Nation. Hokie Nation is great. They are great people. But there are a, uh, a group of people on the internet, on Twitter, that definitely take things too far. And call back the dogs, man. Two final things that I want to say on this. First and foremost, like, here's the deal. On this podcast, I'm just going to tell you, we're always just going to give you our honest and our honest opinion. And that's always what it's going to be. I'm going to talk about as much as I possibly can, um, while also respecting 
the program and respecting what's allowed to be talked about and what's not. Um, But you can choose to listen to that or listen to the context, or you can decide to draw up your own conclusions when you may or may not have ever played competitive sports or may or may not have ever coached somebody in your entire life or may or may not know anything that's going on. That's your own prerogative. But I'm going to talk to you about my experiences, the experiences that I've shared with people inside and outside of the program. Uh, You can take to choose that, to take that and run with it, or you can choose to formulate your own opinion. And that's up to you to do that. And on the the social media thing, another thing that you guys should know, whether you like it or not, or whether athletes say they do or say they don't at the professional level or the collegiate level, they read everything that you guys say. Like you can think that they don't, and you can think that you're just throwing it into ether and nobody's going to see it. No, that's the unfortunate thing about social media is it gives a voice to people that quite frankly you know, in my opinion, don't deserve to have a voice or don't deserve to have something that gets out there. And there's some really disgusting stuff that these players are sitting down and reading about the program that they're in or the recruits that the program that they're considering going to. Um, If you want to have a fair argument about things, I'm here to have it. If you want to talk about Coach Cornelson or Coach Hamilton, and instead of just saying the corn emoji sucks or fire Hamilton or Coach Foster would have never done this, sure. Let's go ahead, tweet at me what schematical difference thing that you would like to see. Bring something to the, to the argument. You know how Dabo Sweeney says, bring your own guts? Well, why don't you bring your own facts or bring your own statistics and we can have a conversation. Until you guys are willing to do that, you guys are just making yourself look stupid on the internet. Tagging players, by the way, to, to talk trash to them is goofy as hell, by the way. Whether they're on, whether they're on your team or the other team as well, just, just, to, just to point that out too. Um, you know, whatever, uh, moving right along here. Uh, I wanted to point out something that Jack click pointed out to me. Um, that was another pretty good summarization. And as I said, considering missing Devin Hunter, Caleb Farley, Jaden Payute, divine Diablo, Keonta Jenkins, Breon Murray. Um, we scored a ton of points came very close to beating a top 10 team on the road, bounced all the way back to get it to, I think, four or six points uh, on the road. It is extremely respectful, but there was one play where uh, he tapped me and he said, let's, let's break down what happened here. And it was the Daz Newsome touchdown to extend the lead to two scores at, uh, I believe it was 49-37. Nadir Thompson comes in and just misses sacking the quarterback on a blitz. Daz Newsom, one of the best recruits that left the state of Virginia and one of the most talented players on the North Carolina team, catches the ball at around the 10. Chapman, a backup defensive back, is blocked by Deami Brown, another incredibly talented player who plays week in and week out for North Carolina. Nike Hawkins, who has only seen reps mainly on special teams last year, missed the tackle. And then you're left with Tyler Matheny taking a bad angle and missing the tackle. And that's pretty much what the story was. It was really talented and athletic guys who have played a ton of football uh, being in positions to you know, score the football or make open field plays, and that's what happened. So, again, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of cutting our teeth here in the defensive backfield, and I think for a lot of these young guys that, that will see time later on, they're getting those reps. But, you know, when you see these touchdowns, don't just throw your stuff and say, oh, man, that's a 60-yard touchdown. Well, look at how it happened and kind of the mismatches that we're seeing. Um, so I just wanted to point that out there. So we'll move into our awards here. Uh, as we do in our game reviews, the Pride, Joy, and Fook Crew Awards. Pride for defense, Joy for special teams, Fook Crew for offense. Presented by Homefield. 
Guys, home field, I got to say, we uh, we keep going back and forth with home field because they have been killing it on social media. They've been growing their brand like crazy uh, over the past few months. Uh, go to homefieldapparel.com, go to the Virginia Tech collection and see their selection. They have the Skipper Cannon, they have the Fighting Gobbler, they have the, the T over V uh, vintage logo on some of the most magical, soft, fluffy, I don't even know what word is the perfect word to describe this cotton but uh, they got t-shirts, they have sweatshirts. Definitely worth checking out on homefieldapparel.com. Uh, they, they really did their research on Virginia Tech and they launch a new school every single weekend. They just did Florida State this past weekend. If you have any FSU cronies. Use Probably the best thing that happened at Florida State uh, in the last week, to be completely honest. <laughs> in the last year. <laughs> um, use promo code SONSOFSAT for 20% off your order. Go check them out uh homefieldapparel.com okay pride defense guys let's just be honest i don't think anyone on the defensive uh on the defensive personnel had a good game on saturday is that fair stamp stamp joy special teams brian johnson that that, sons of unanimous that onside kick man billy was billy was coming down from the uh, the restroom he was like what's going on what's going on yeah brian johnson just did that Uh, he almost did it twice he almost did it twice Almost did it twice. A little kick to himself. Really sparked uh, the offense in the third quarter. Third quarter? Great quarter. Third quarter. Um, and one then quarter. also with the 55-yarder, uh, which uh, was one more than his 54-yarder in the Belk Bowl against uh, Kentucky. So that was awesome. Foo Crew. We had three guys who we really liked uh, from our offense on Saturday. All-start, Hendon Hooker came in. Billy said he just looked he just looked like he had that swagger he had that confidence the team was ready for him to be in the game and uh I, I really liked what he was able to do for us in the second half Bill who'd you like yeah um Hendon Hooker to your point uh it's just got a different feel when he's in there very cool customer fantastic job um and uh excited to kind of let's see him get back into his rhythm I'm gonna go with James Mitchell on the offensive line as I mentioned James Mitchell making plays down the field huge mismatch big body uh and just going down there and making plays uh, so I'll go offensive line and James Mitchell. I know this is a stacked award, but we had some great performers. Grayson, you got one more, obviously. Obviously. I would say this is a, a trifecta unanimous uh, here. Khalil Herbert, leading rusher in the nation. You know, we take an L, but, I mean, that kid is catching dubs all day, every day. I mean, he is just such a talented running back. Just an incredible performance. Continues to to perform at the highest level, and I, and I know that going forward this season he will continue to do so. So, Boo Crew, Hendon Hooker, James Mitchell in the O line, Khalil Herbert, everybody, phenomenal performances across the board. I guess you could say the offense performed well. I guess you could go ahead and say that. Um, I want to give some awards to the North Carolina or some point outs, not awards. I want to give some props to North Carolina. First and foremost, a guy who kind of honestly was kind of the butt of a lot of my jokes, Cameron Kelly, uh, originally a Virginia tech commit transfer, uh, ended up going to Auburn transferred from Auburn and then went to North Carolina. His name was called a bunch on Saturday. Um, you know, we all know how talented Chad Surratt is and he's a tackle machine. Well, on Saturday, Cameron Kelly was an absolute tackle machine. I remember tapping Pat and I was like, Cameron Kelly out here making big time plays. So shout out to Cameron Kelly. Um, happy he figured it out and at UNC making plays. And then, man, the thing that really stood out to me with with Hal 
his composure, especially when he was on the bench for long periods of time, there were times where it felt like, you know, 25, 30 minutes went by and, you know, you always talk about like losing your rhythm or not getting the offense out there, or, you know, you have, you have your defense on the field for a long time. How's the offense going to come out? Are they going to come out flat? Every time North Carolina needed a score, they found a way to score. And every time they got in a third down where they kind of needed to make it happen, Sam Howell made it happen. Um, a lot of people, you know, quite frankly, outside the ACC are sleeping on Sam Howell. He's a very talented football player. Um, and uh, I think he's answered all questions uh, about his ability and what he's able to do on the football field. So uh, really talented quarterback and inside scoop. We, uh, when we went to Buns, we met a couple of North Carolina students, some of which were on the cheerleading squad. And I said, Hey, honestly, you know, this, the Sam Howe kid, he does some photo shoots. You know, I'm not really sure I feel about him. What's he like in person? A plus review on the person, personal, uh, personality of, uh, Sam Howe seems like a really good guy. Gets good grades. Um, one of the cheerleaders tore her Achilles. Sam Howe reached out said hey are you okay sorry in the training room so Sam Howe good guy uh, and I hope your Achilles is doing better UNC cheerleader so um moving right along here letters from the lunch pail sponsored by the hub in Blacksburg look here's the deal college students I'm just going to tell you my experience you know I didn't really go through the evaluation thing and say like hmm this is a really good price point or let's talk about the square feet the cubic feet well I'm just going to go ahead and do that for you. The Hub is the absolute most incredible place that you can live in Blacksburg. And I'm going to give you just one bullet point on why. We've talked about the weight room and how Coach Hilgart might be over there doing curls. We talked about the swimming pool that's like West Warsham Field. Grayson talked about that. Well, listen to this. Our brand ambassador, Dan Pan, went ahead and signed a lease. And I said, Dan Pan, thank you so much. She said, well, the decision was really easy. You have a jacuzzi? attached your own personal jacuzzi attached to the back of your apartment friends you're going home you're coming home from the math emporium which is an albatross by the way and you just had a really really rough day go on down to the hub and you have your own jacuzzi you could safely use your laptop take some classes maybe do some studying if you have some waterproof paper or something but anyway the jacuzzi's at the hub the hub is fantastic check them out a wonderful place to live in blacksburg let them know the Sons of Saturday sent you. They are absolutely fantastic. You get $235 off the application fee if you sign the day you start them. And if you sign before the 15th, you are entered to win a free iPad Pro. Who doesn't love iPads? iPads are sick. The new iOS just dropped. Check them out. Anyway, first question. Richie Gallimore. What possible reason could there be for Herbert touching the ball once in our first three and outs while we spotted UNC 21? Pat. Yeah, I know Billy said this earlier, but the first drive is always scripted. I think it was to establish the passing game earlier, try to see where we can wrinkle in some passes early because of the knowledge that they were going to stack the box and they have such a good run defense. That's what I think. I don't think it was the right thing to do. I think you should have gotten more carries. But, I mean, you know, I can't be a Monday morning quarterback on that, but that's what I think. I don't know if you had anything you wanted to add, Billy. No, nothing to add on that. Again, uh, if, if you have to have a gripe with the offense, I think that is the one gripe. Um, but I would definitely look to see him featured a hell of a lot more here moving forward. Um, but we shall see. Brian Holbrook, what can we do to shore up the interior defensive line? Um, 
Man, I mean, safety play is so important, and we talked about that earlier, and linebacker play is so important. We do have some of the most talented linebackers in the ACC and in the country. Um, I'm looking at them to get better here moving forward. Depth has been kind of an issue at the defensive tackle position, Um, so that's definitely something that's kind of been hamstringing us a little bit. Um, But I really think, honestly, Brian, to answer your question, I think health. Like, you know, you really, really need safeties that are able to fill the running lanes um, and some better linebacker play. Um, but, uh, you know, we just really, quite frankly, got to get healthy. Next question from John Cran. Two questions from y'all's perspective. One, what was the biggest positive takeaway that you saw on offense? Two, what was your greatest concern on defense beyond the players that were out? Uh, for offense, I will say Hooker. We have our guy now. I, I think it's clear if Hooker is not starting against Boston College, and there's going to be you know a lot of uh, a lot of question marks there, but I think just seeing him come in, that he is healthy, he can come in and play and operate this offense uh, was great to see. Uh, defensively, the DTs and linebackers getting gobbled up, creating all the gaps in the middle for Carter and Williams just to absolutely torch us. I think that was probably our, our greatest concern from Saturday that I saw. Uh, Grayson, I know you had a, a few. I would say the biggest positive takeaway, and we've hammered this home so much already on this episode, is the re-up of the run game. It goes beyond Khalil Herbert. We just have so many guys who are playmakers at the running back position, and it goes beyond the running backs as well. I mean, our offensive line, I talked to Bill and Pat about this before we press record today. This is one of the most talented offensive line units I've seen across the board in the maroon and orange in the good Lord knows how long. I mean, they're, they've just been so, so critical to our success on the ground. And, and the fact that we're able to run the ball effectively again is, is phenomenal. Pat, you, you pretty much answered, answered my, my question, or excuse me, John Cranham's question. Your greatest concern is the same as mine. Bill, did you have anything to add? Yeah, so I'll just say on the offense, I'm going to echo Pat. Um, you know, the the offense just has a different look with Hendon Hooker in there. Um, his ability, he has a much better, um, throws, in my opinion, a, a prettier ball in the game. Uh, the team, I don't want to say they respond differently because I didn't think the team was playing lazy when Burmeister is in there. But something about Hooker's, you know, composure and what he brings to the game uh, definitely – is something that's going to make a huge difference for this offense. Um, and, you know, on defense, I know you said aside from the players that were out, but, you know, my biggest concern right now is getting guys back and making sure they're up to par and up to speed on everything that we're doing with the playbook. And, you know, it's not enough to just get the guys back. Like I said earlier, like when you get them back, you got to catch them up. They got to be in good shape and kind of recover from whatever they're recovering from. So, you know, that's kind of my biggest concern, but I do think that we have a great staff. I've said that before and they're, uh, they're working to get better as they do. So uh, that's my answers for that. Uh, Tim Donnelly says, was there enough maroon in the uni combo? I know Tim was uh, kind of cracking jokes there. I think fans overall just need to chill out about uniforms. I think having an opinion about how much orange can we incorporate, like what can we wear on the road, like is all maroon, everything cursed right now. Guys, it's just clothes. It is just clothing. I saw, <laughs> I saw someone tweet after the game, like four combinations of where we wore orange that we had lost. And it's like, oh, the curse continues. Put it to bed. Like, let's grow up. It's it's uniforms. It is literally clothing. The recruits love it. The kids love it. It does not affect the way that we play on the field. And I think that even just in conversations, like 
just calm down, man. It is literally clothing. Um, Grayson, you had something to add. Here's what I have to say. As someone who was insanely superstitious, I'm probably out of Bill, Pat, and myself, the most superstitious person uh, on this podcast. You know, if I'm not wearing my Virginia Tech hat and my Michael Vick jersey, I freak out and I just can't handle it. I have always been a huge fan of the all maroon uniforms. Someone pointed it out on Twitter. Think about all the times we've worn those all maroon uniforms and gotten our a dollar dollar sign handed to us on a silver platter. It's just the truth. Whatever we wear does not affect the outcome of the game. And I think I've finally started to realize that. So I think everyone else should do the same. I mean, that's honestly what a fan's going to do. Like, but I'm just going to be honest with you. When I was there, um, you know, Isaiah and Cam weren't going to their locker and saying, "Oh, orange pants this week." I don't know. Uh, I don't know how I feel about that. So, um, you know, that has absolutely nothing to do with the uh, with the dictation there. It's also like the guys saying, "Oh man, the Lakers are wearing the Kobe jerseys. Can't lose the Kobe jerseys. Come on, man. Like, what are, what are we doing here?" Anyway. Also, one last one last thing. DJ Harvey's dad. You see him on Twitter. And he's talking about how these young kids, from a recruiting perspective, they like options. And that option, the, the, the orange pants and the white top, that's a different switch up than, you know, maroon and white pants. So from a recruiting perspective, these kids like to see a bunch of different colorways. So also important on that front. Shout out to, uh, to Mr. Harvey on that note. Um, the crab, Karsten. Karsten. He asks, what was the atmosphere like during uh, at a game during COVID? Does our run support need more work from our linebackers? Does our run support need more work from our linebackers or our safeties? Um, let's talk about the game first. Pat, um, I was pretty presently supply- surprised. Like the biggest thing that stood out to me was our usher was just a, a huge jerky McJerk face about the whole, uh, you know, you can't take a sip of water like he's timing you. So that was kind of a real bummer. Um, but aside from that, like UNC did a good job playing music. Um, you know, it was a really good matchup. It was great to watch the game. Um, you know, I really, they had, they did their whole entrance thing. UNC does a weird thing in the fourth quarter. They run over to like their student section, and go like interact with their student section for like the whole timeout that is that. I would say this, you mentioned this before we went to the game, the TV timeouts seemed longer. And maybe that's because there aren't fans doing like the guess where the hokey is under the helmets, like doing all those kind of things. But uh, the TV timeouts seemed like they took an eternity. But what did you think, Pat? Uh, it kind of felt like being at a spring game or being at an open practice. Uh, that was pretty much it. I mean, I, I think they did a nice job as far as keeping people engaged and it's not like they had the games on the the the, uh, the jumbotron. By the way, Keenan Stadium's jumbotrons oh are placed way too high, like way too high. I'm like arching my neck, and I'm and they're small. Super, and there's no um, they don't have it like they do in Lane with a uh, on the video board. They show the stats as far as like rushing yards, passing yards, or anything. So that's a gripe. Sons um, of constructive feedback. Also, the shot clock was hard to find. Uh, the play clock uh, was was tough to find. Uh, and I was looking for it a lot because UNC was running the shot, uh, the shot clock down a lot in the second half. Um, aside from that, you're quite, to your question, does our run support need more work from our linebackers or safeties? I'm just going to go with both. Uh, both definitely need a ton of work. Again, the linebacker crew hasn't really been bit by the by the whole COVID thing at this point. They're a really talented group. I think they're going to get better. 
Um, the safeties work is going to take guys getting into practice and quite frankly, just being healthy. So, um, that's kind of my take on that. Our next question comes from Nate Rusmeisel. I'm sorry if I butchered that last name. I gave it my, my best effort. Nate asks <laughs> against UNC with starters out on defense and losing another one early. Should we expect the coaching staff to look to help them out more maybe by using timeouts to get the defense breathers or the young guys in the right spot. Is that something we should be expecting or is that just a hindsight view? Long question, but a good one. I will, uh, I'll start with this one. You know, the number of times that I yelled at the TV yesterday, call a timeout because our defense looked completely just all over the place. Didn't really look like they knew what was about to happen or looked like they knew what was going on would surprise you. I, I think at least yesterday, uh, given the inexperience of the guys in the secondary, I would not have been mad if they had called, if the coaching staff had just called timeouts to be like, Hey guys, okay. Before, before they Sam, Sam Howell drops a dime on us. Let's get right. Let's get set up. You need to know where you're at. Please be there. (laughs) Like, so Nate, I say yes. I would not be opposed to that at all. Bill or Pat, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I don't really have an add-on there. Um, you know, unfortunately, it would have been nice to have been able to do that before every play and say, hey, here's the look we're going to get, and you line up here, and here's your keys. But that's not how it works. You get three of them. So, But, uh, you know, again, unprecedented situation, trying to make the most of it, and guys playing out of position. You can take as many times. You can take a timeout and tell – a player who's playing out of position, what he needs to do, but it's really not going to make that much of a difference. So um, it is what it is. Aside from that, Blake, like, Bran- Br- Blake Branzell, last letter of the lunch pail. I like this one. Who would be the best offensive player if they had <laughs> to get moved to defense? Pat. So, well, Blake says he takes Jalen Holston at strong safety. I kind of like that. I like James Mitchell at safety. I like Hooker in the secondary as well. Uh, these are just two big guys who are athletic and can make uh, can make plays out there. I hope we never have to see it, but uh, those are my two. What about you guys? I'm taking Doug Nestor at nose tackle. Put him <laughs> right in the middle, and he's – Oh my gosh, Doug Nestor and no tackle would be an absolute nightmare. He's <laughs> so sick. Bill. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Nick Gallo at linebacker. I love Nick Gallo. I think he's an intangible guy. Uh, I'll go with Nick Gallo at linebacker or Quincy Patterson at linebacker. <laughs> Pat liked that one. <laughs> Quincy Patterson at linebacker. Man, I would, I would, I would not want to uh, to be a running back on a team playing Quincy at linebacker. All right, we're gonna we're gonna wind things down here with some Sharkies shout outs. Uh, so first and foremost, Billy Ray, I know you had a shout out here uh, for Hokies women's laps. First and foremost, wanted to shout out Mary Griffin. Uh, Sons of Saturday, the Virginia Tech women's lacrosse team ranked in the top 25 preseason, but this is more important than sports. Mary Griffin, she is a sophomore from the Roland Party, Roland Park Country School in Sykesville, Maryland. There is a fundraiser that has been started. Unfortunately, Mary Griffin has been uh, diagnosed with a neuroendocrine tumor. Um, obviously we're raising, uh, want to support her in her fight to, uh, to get better. Uh, she's also been diagnosed with coronavirus. So 
Um, there is a GoFundMe set up. We are going to go ahead and share that link on all of our socials. We will also put it in the post podcast write up, but she has a goal of $50,000. We're up to $42,952 right now. Um, give whatever you can definitely want to support her thoughts and prayers with her and her family. And we're hoping for a, uh, for a full and speedy recovery, but definitely go check that out. And, uh, we want to help any way that we possibly can. I want to shout out some of the, um, the folks in the NFL. I know Joey Sly went three for three today. Watched the, uh, the Panthers take down the 0-5 Matt Ryan-led Falcons. Shout out, Dr. Jeremy. Know you love to see that. Uh, Kenda Fuller had another interception today. Kyle Fuller delivered one of the best hits in the NFL uh, in the last couple of years on Thursday night. Saw Isaiah Ford had two catches in the win today for the Dolphins. Wyatt Teller is uh, the best guy, uh, one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL. And uh, last but not least, Tyrod, man. Just shout out to Tyrod. Hope, hope he's doing well. Hope he's doing better. I know he's just been kind of screwed over the last couple of years. So I'm um, just thinking about that guy because we love him in Hokie Nation, and uh, he is a winner. Gray, any shouts? Shout out to Bill, you know, rolling through, uh, rolling through to pop in on uh, Hampton. My little brother in Blacksburg said they had a great time. Uh, say, got a text from Hampton after Bill left. Yo, Billy raised the man, dog. Dude, <laughs> I, I want to shout out Hampton uh, for the unbelievable hospitality. Bounced on over, said hello. He goes, well, man, like we're cooking burgers. You want a burger? I was like, nah, man, like skinny Billy can't do a burger. He's like, we'll have Miller Lite. And I was like, well, yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, gave me the grand tour of, uh, of Granny's again. Uh, checked out the Orange Bowl photo. Some great photos of the Wimbish family from way back when. Uh, skater dude Grayson back when he had some <laughs> super long hair. Uh, and was even serenaded. He uh, sat down on his uh, keyboard and played a little bit of piano. So shout out to Hampton. Super talented, just like his older brother. Shout uh, out hey, to the I appreciate that, man. Well, last shout out, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll shout out Eric Avazar. First off, for two reasons. One, if you remember on the preview that we did prior to the Duke game, he predicted the score was going to be 38-31. to 31. Guess what? It was. He also predicted that James Mitchell was going to score the first touchdown in that game. Guess what? He did. Also, this past weekend, lost uh, the, the outcome against UNC was a little bit different, but he, uh, he set up a, a place to stay for us in San Diego, uh, so shout out to, to Eric for a great weekend down in down in SD. It was a, it was an absolute blast. We will be back to you soon. Um, again, these are not as fun as wind pods, but look, looking forward to getting better. Looking forward to getting healthy, and um, let's beat the hell out of Boston College. Let's get this thing back on track and find a way to get it done, boys.